Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The folks at Green Mountain Dental Group deserve to take some credit for those smiling Colorado sports fans around town, especially those of our DNVR listeners who've switched to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years to make them their permanent family dentist. And if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group, located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD Coffee will improve the quality of your morning since it's rich in CBD and CBG and will have you feeling as great as I've been since their CBD infused coffee can help with chronic headaches, joint pains, so much more. For me and the exercise that I do several days of the week, Strava has helped with my recovery and it's reduced a lot of the snort. And it's reduced a lot of the soreness I get. So if you're looking to supplement your workouts and just want less of those general aches and pains, try Strava Craft Coffee at StravaCraftCoffee.com. And now you can get 25% off your first purchase when you use code DNVR25 at StravaCraftCoffee.com. I am your host, Patrick Lyons. And on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, we're going to take a look at some of the projections for the 2022 Colorado Rockies. That is according to Fangraphs and the creator of this particular projection system, Dan Zimborski, who we're hoping to have join us later on this week on the pod. We're going to get into the Sabre bio of the big cat, Andre Scalaraga. But first, on deck here, we need to talk about the Rockies bullpen for 2022. I, I guess really if we're talking even more current news than that, we should have to point out that Rio Ruiz, who played in 30 games, only had 40 plate appearances, was mainly a bat off the bench for Bud Black in 2021. He does sign a deal with the LG Twins following the course of Roberto Ramos, who, if you remember, during the pandemic season of 2020, was the star of the Korean baseball organization, hitting 38 home runs in his first season away from the Colorado Rockies. Didn't do as well in 2021. But nevertheless, he was a major highlight and a talking point before we finally got the season started on July 23rd of 2020. I bring up that date because I hope we don't have another opening day on July 23rd coming up this season. We'll see what happens after the first of the new year when the two sides sit down to really get into the weeds when it comes to figuring out a scenario that benefits both sides financially. They've been getting together, talking about some more of the minor low-key things, nothing that is going to move the needle either way for either party. So we'll keep you up to date with that as we enter the second month of the MLB lockout. 
But the Rockies bullpen in 2022, what is what are they going to look like next year? I think right now it is incomplete. If we look at what the roster of relievers did in 2021, it was better than I think many had expected, especially after seeing that first half. They did have only a 52% save percentage, which was tied for the third worst in franchise history. They struggled to leave runners stranded on base. Last year was the third worst in team history. 39% of runners were stranded, which means 61% ultimately ended up scoring. But for a roster that really lacked veteran leadership in regards to the back end of the bullpen, Daniel Bard really only being that guy. And keep in mind, because of some time away from professional baseball, he is still yet to even reach free agency naturally. That's to say, this will be his sixth full season as a big leaguer, and therefore he'll only be reaching free agency in the proper sense that we think of it for the first time after this year. So he's got the age. He does have that kind of experience. But after him, everyone else was essentially a youngin. That other than Jolie's Chassin, who was really solid for the Rockies, did lead the team with 18 holds, a statistic that doesn't really get reported on quite as much as normally we think of saves as being the be-all, end-all. But of course, even that can be deceiving depending on the scenario in situation that the reliever comes into the game. You can still win a ball game if you blow a save. Obviously, that's not ideal. But holds is something that I'd love to see a little bit more front and center, particularly on a website like Baseball Reference, which to my knowledge, doesn't show that at all for relief pitchers. I think there's a way that you can go and sort if you've got the stat head feature where you can find that. But a hold is essentially almost you're saving your team's lead in other parts of the game other than late in the eighth and ninth inning because closers can certainly get a save starting from about the eighth inning. You can get a save even earlier than that. But I digress. Chassin and Bard were really the two biggest veterans on the club, everyone else was really still starting to establish their career. But I thought there was enough in there that in my preseason predictions, I thought that the relief core would be sneaky good. And they were at times. There's no doubt about it. They were pretty good at times. The overall ERA was 4.83, which was actually the 10th best in franchise history. It was seventh best overall in the last 29 seasons in whip walks plus hits divided by innings pitch or walks and hits per innings pitch. So basically how many base runners are you, are you allowing on base per inning? 1.386 was the whip for the staff. And they were way better in the second half than in the first half. They were, I think around the top 10 essentially in the second half of the season when they got a couple things worked out. And that was even after getting rid of Michael Givens in that trade to the Cincinnati Reds. But I wanted to take a look back at the previous few seasons to try to get a sense of what happened in 2021. If there's a way to predict what's going to happen in 2022, if we look at the growth and the fluctuation and the value of relief pitchers over a few years and a few seasons worth of time consecutively. Ultimately, I thought it was inconclusive, my research, that is, because when you go back to 2018 and 2019, and even a, a note 
and a touch of it in 2020, there were a lot of veteran relievers on the staff. And those veteran relievers allowed some protection for some of the younger guys on the staff, which ultimately ended up being a good thing going forward. Not a great thing, but a good thing. We know in 2018 and 19, you had that Super Bowl pen of Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, and Jake McGee. You also, in a trade in 2018 from the Toronto Blue Jays, Sungwon Oh was brought in, came through in a major way in 2018 during the final two months of the season with eight holds and one save. Only ended up getting three in 2019 before he went down to injury. But from there, you start to see the improvement of, number one, Carlos Estevez. And we already knew how critical he could be from his debut in 2016 when he took over the closers role late in the season as a rookie. In 2019, he's got 11 saves. In 2020, he has six saves, again, in that abbreviated 60-game season. And then last year, 15 holds with the 11 saves. Was a bit shaky as a closer, but not as shaky as Daniel Bard was, who did lead the team with his 20 saves. He'll be back. And it really will be interesting to see in 2022 what will happen between Estevez and Bard. Who will be the closer? I am more inclined to think Carlos Estevez will have more opportunities to close down the ninth inning. I don't think there's anything gained by the organization by having one guy over the other as the closer and the other one as the setup man. We know this is something that really benefited the New York Yankees in the past when they had a young reliever who was ultimately a future closer that we haven't really seen get to close since he's been injured in parts of the past three seasons. But in Dellen Betances, who by keeping him in the role in the seventh and eighth inning as a setup man, it allowed the Yankees to pay him less in arbitration because saves are worth something. Well, Carlos Estevez and Daniel Bard are both going to be free agents at the end of the 2022 season. So look, whoever's the best man for the job is the one that's going to get it. I think it's hard to predict that both of these men will struggle as much as they did at times in 2021. I think they'll both have a lot more consistency, and maybe some of that consistency is just not having it. And there is a chance you could see that with a Daniel Bard. I like the chances of Carlos Estevez figuring it out more consistently over the course of a 162-game season. He's done it more recently than Bard, who only just came back in 2020. So I see Estevez as being that guy in the ninth inning. But I also could see someone like Tyler Kinley taking another step forward. He was really the fourth man on the depth chart in 2020 when they had picked him up off of waivers from the Miami Marlins. He did have four saves, but he was fourth in the depth chart behind Daniel Bard, Carlos Estevez, even at times Yancy Almonte and Jairo Diaz. How about that for a name? Yes, they did acquire Michael Gins in 2020, but he struggled a bit, and so he didn't get quite the same amount of opportunities that Kinley did. So he was lower in the pecking order, and you look at what he did last year, really in the seventh and eighth innings as the primary setup man, at least when there was really only one closer at the time. Kinley was in the seventh, Estevis was in the eighth, Bard was in the ninth, and then eventually became Kinley's job in the eighth inning. He is another guy that, with still three more years of control, he could be a future closer of this team. Jolie's Chassin could have some opportunities, closing out games late. And Robert Stevenson, of course, is another one of those guys that you can see 
future closer written all over him. So between Kinley, Chessie, and Stevenson, you like those three guys to continue with the success that they've been having. And you got to hope either Estevez or Bard puts it together long enough. And that right there gives you four solid relievers that you feel good about. Keep in mind, we did feel good about Yancy Almonte last season going into 2021. And we know that that was a bit disappointing. You could say six on the death chart is Lucas Gilbreth, who was fantastic. And really, sure, he's a left-handed reliever. And so you might need to bring him in when it's most prudent, when there are two or three left-handers in a row on the opposing team, right in the middle of the lineup, that's going to be his inning. That's going to be his spot more so than an inning, right? It'll be whatever the matchup is, you need to be ready. And so he could be used in various spots. But if he's getting out lefties and righties, and we do see someone like Ben Bowden take a step forward, then Bowden could be your left-handed guy earlier in the ballgame. And Gilbreth maybe slides in to the seventh and eighth spot. Jordan Sheffield had his moments where he looked really solid in 2021. His 3.38 ERA was identical to Lucas Gilbreth's. And coincidentally, both men recorded four holds last year. So they had similar opportunities throughout the course of the season, essentially. Can't forget Julian Fernandez, who impressed lighting up the radar gun. He's just going to need to find the strike zone. Him and Justin Lawrence are both going to need to find the strike zone. So between those two guys, you hope at least one of them can figure it out. Or similar to what we saw last year in the closers role, it becomes definitive that, hey, Bard doesn't have it, so now Estevez needs to step in. While Bard catches his breath, he's using a cleanup role for a little bit, and Estevez is going and locking it down. So Fernandez is dealing in April. He's the guy that's in your bullpen. And if Lawrence doesn't have it, that's okay. He can pitch in Albuquerque. And when it's his time and Fernandez seems to have lost it, he can get shuttled back to ABQ. As a long reliever, Ashton Godot seems to be poised for that spot. But I also think Ty Block would be a really good addition in that spot as well. Especially if Godot is battling for the fifth spot in the rotation. And he's a sneaky pick for that spot. I don't think that's how it will go. I I would prefer Ty Block, in fact. I think he has a chance to have more starts in that role in the rotation. That would be a good DraftKings Sportsbook bet. Which pitcher gets more starts in 2021, Ashton Godot or Ty Block? You also have the potential of converting a minor league starting pitcher into a reliever. That's what happened with Lucas Gilbreth in 2019. He was starting for the Lancaster Jethawks in high A. Similar story to Harrison Musgrave. How about that from a blast from the past in 2018? He started in Albuquerque, comes up to the Rockies. He's relieving, gets five holds during the crunch, pitches in some pivotal games in September as well as in the postseason. So Ryan Feltner and maybe even Carl Kaufman you could see in the back ends of games for the Rockies. And if I'm throwing out a couple names, of players you could see in the Rockies pen. Got to mention Jake Bird, who had really solid numbers last year in Hartford, as well as in Albuquerque. Looked really solid down in the Arizona Fall League. Has a real good head on his shoulders. I like what he brings. He's very similar to Chris Sale, but from the right side. It's the wrong side. You want him to be a lefty. 
but he's got some funky stuff. J.D. Hammer, native of Fort Collins, could factor in. We saw Tommy Doyle in 2020. Maybe he's back at some point in 2021. Yoan Ibar, lefty, who pitched mostly with Hartford last year. He's on the 40-man roster, could factor in, along with Reagan Todd, a guy who, similar to Jake Bird, pitched well in Hartford, as well as in AAA. I think Reagan Todd would be a really nice addition to this bullpen. I would be almost shocked if we didn't see him at some point in 2021. It's a name that not a lot of people are still talking about. Reagan Todd. Don't forget the name. And two other guys that I've been tipped off to by some in the organization, Chad Smith, who, if you recall, came over to the roster in that Jesus Tinoco deal that ultimately brought back Jesus Tinoco when he was put on waivers. But Nate Greep. Nate Greep was a guy that was signed as a minor league free agent last year and looked really nice, had some good numbers in the upper levels of the minor leagues. So that being said, again, a lot of dreaming, a lot of, hey, maybe this guy, hey, maybe that guy. A lot of it is timeliness. You need the guys to click at the right time. If you're great over the course of a whole season, well, that's real easy. That's real easy to maneuver those players in and out of high leverage spots. But if someone doesn't have it, and someone may have it, well, you don't know when to make that move. You can't wait too long with guys. And that can be the tendency a lot, especially with a lot of unknown quantities waiting in the wings. As much as potential as Feltner and Bird and Tommy Doyle, Reagan Todd, Ibar, Greep, Julian Fernandez, Justin Lawrence, as much potential as those guys have, they haven't proven it on the major league level. And so maybe you end up picking up the phone to call Sheffield or Gilbreth or Chassine or Bard or Estevez, whoever it is, you pick up that phone, call the bullpen coach and say, hey, have so-and-so warm up, even though he hasn't had it for the last two weeks, because that player is more of a known commodity. It's for that reason that I think the Rockies are still at least two veteran arms away from putting together a solid staff that could contend. They think they can contend right now. We know that. I think it's true of just about any team right now. Maybe not the Orioles. There there are probably three to four exceptions. But every team, if everyone has a career year and everything goes right, they could be in the hunt. Doesn't guarantee they're going to be in the postseason, even with career years, but they could be in the hunt. And so Basically, you're saying there's a 5% chance this works out. Well, if the Rockies go ahead and sign two more veteran arms, three would be ideal. But if they can bring in two to three more guys, maybe one on a major league deal and a couple other minor league signings, nothing wrong with that. But if they can bring those guys in, it increases the odds of the bullpen being as successful as they were last year and maybe even taking a step forward maybe increasing those playoff odds to 10%, doubling it. And now you can start to squint and say, okay, you know what? The bullpen might be all right. We know the rotation's all right. It's very all right. What about the outfield? Who's playing shortstop? These are all parts of the equation to figure out if Colorado really will be a contender. Right now, it's hard to see that with the current state of the bullpen. But there is a lot that you like. There is a lot to like. Estevez and Bard are going to be the only two players in their final season before free agency. 
Julius Chastain, of course, came back on a one-year deal. But everyone else has three or more years of control. So you really have to hope that it isn't a case of Estevez, Bard, and Chassin holding up the bullpen next year because that won't be promising for 2023 because you're going to need all of those young guys. You're going to need your Kinleys, Stevenson, Gilbreth, Sheffield, Bowden. You need all of those guys to be around again in 2023. The DNVR bar is back in action this week after some much-needed rest over the holiday weekend. We've got Nuggets Watch Party at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, on Thursday at 7.30 p.m., Saturday at 6 p.m., and then Sunday, Broncos are back at 2.05 against the Los Angeles Chargers. couple games left next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday is Week 18, Game 17 against the Kansas City Chiefs, the final one at Empower Field at Mile High Stadium. Of course, you know we've got the tailgate popping off. 10 a.m., you get down to the bar, park, leave your car there. The shuttle will take you over to the stadium where you can have all-you-can-eat sexy pizza, all-you-can-drink Breck Brew and Good Company Hard Seltzer. You can get your tickets for that at dnvrlocker.com. And if you're a member, you get a discount. So you might as well sign up. 50 cents for your first month. That's it if you just want to try it out at thednvr.com. If you want an annual membership, you know you do get a free t-shirt. You get a bigger beer when you're down at the bar. Anytime you're watching a game, happy hours, 3 to 6 p.m., drink specials, appetizer discounts, you name it, on the corner of Colfax in York. As I mentioned, Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. So we've got the Avalanche Ale, Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter Jr. all on tap at the DNVR bar. But did you know they're also our official seltzer? Yeah, it's true. Breckenridge Brewery and their good company heart seltzer is now available at the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax and York. You can pick it up anywhere alcohol is sold. Costco, King Supers. Make sure you pick up a 15-can sampler which comes stocked with the apple pear, black cherry, honeydew, mountain berry, and peach. They mix it up real nice. It's Breckenridge Brewery's Good Company Hard Seltzer, an easy choice for a great company. And speaking of which, you might need a new mattress for yourself. That might even been a holiday gift, an IOU from someone in your family, especially if you just bought a new home, or you got yourself your first condo or apartment, whatever it may be. Check out snoozesleep.com and the snooze mattress because they've got a snooze flip. It's the most universal mattress on the planet. It's one that's designed to fit every body. That's right. It's the world's first four-in-one mattress. You can choose soft, firm, cool, or cozy. Flip it to choose your comfort level and zip it with a reversible, washable, temperature-regulated cover. And it comes with a 122-year warranty to back it. Use code DNVR when you visit snoozesleep.com and receive $250 off a mattress and $250 off adjustable base when using code DNVR. On Monday, Dan Zimborski gave us a little taste of his projection system called ZIPS, right? It stands for Zimborski Projection System. And yes, the Z in ZIPS is not actually the first letter in his name. But it was, it was crafty wordsmithing. We'll have to ask him about that if we're able to get him on the pod this week. We're tentatively scheduled to bring that to you for the first time. A guy who's been a guy who's had his share of hot takes on the Colorado Rockies. Got to have him on and see what he thinks about the 2022 squad. But 
His projection system basically uses growth and decline curves based on the player type to find any trends and then factors those trends into past performance of those players to come up with projections for next season. Now, of course, Zips doesn't claim to be perfect or to be Nostradamus, but it's one of the most accurate predictors in the industry. In fact, if we go back and look at the 2021 season and we use the Rockies as a template, it did a pretty good job, all things considered. Zips projected the Rockies to win 64 games, so they didn't think it would they would lose 100 games necessarily. They eventually won 74, but this was actually before the loss of Nolan Arenado and before they added C.J. Crone, Brendan Rodgers, Austin Gomber. So let's look at the starting rotation. Herman Marquez, Zip said he'd have a 4.29 ERA. He actually had a 4.40 ERA. Not bad. Freeland, a bit, a little bit off, I'd say. 5.07 ERA was the prediction by Zips, 4.33 in actuality. For John Gray, 5.05 ERA projection, 4.59 in actuality. And then Antonio Senzatella was more than a runoff. He was projected to have a 5.51 earned run average and actually had a 4.42 earned run average. Yancy Almonte, as I mentioned, had a really solid 2020 season. Looked like, hey, this guy could be a future closer and again, no longer with the organization. He is a minor league free agent. But despite him having so much success in 2020, Zips said he would have a 5.32 ERA. Zips did not like the futures on Almonte, and it was right. He had a 7.55 ERA in reality. What about the hitters? What about on offense? Ryan McMahon projected to have 22 home runs. He actually had 23. Charlie Blackman, 24 home runs, actually hit 13. Trevor Story, Projected hit 33 and probably would have if he played anywhere other than Coors Field. You know how crazy we were keeping tabs on that early in the season. Hey, if Story played in this ballpark, how many home runs would he hit? We know Coors Field almost suppressed some of his home runs. He actually hit 24 and not the 33 that was projected. So again, there's nothing in this projection system that is anti-Rockies. It may have a difficult time projecting Colorado Rockies, but I think it may have those challenges for any team around baseball. It's trying to predict the future based on the most likeliest of avenues. Ramal Tapia projected for eight home runs with zips actually hit six. Not bad. Batting averages were all really close. Let's actually, let's forget batting averages, even though it projected Ryan McMahon to have a 252 batting average. And in fact, he ended up having a 254 batting average, but let's look at OPS plus. Ryan McMahon, a guy that was tabbed to be the next Nolan Arenado. Zips projected him to only have 92 in OPS+. plus. He actually had 98. Not bad. Charlie Blackman projected to have 106 OPS, only had 96. Trevor Story, 110 OPS+, plus, according to Zips, actually had 103. And Ryan Maltapia projected to have a 91 OPS plus and only had 80. Now, Zimborski, if you're if you follow him on Twitter, did say that a team that had a projection of zero wins above replacement, according to his projection system, would actually win 47.7 games. And if that was true of last year, then the projections would have probably been closer to 70 games 
in his system. We'll have to ask him exactly how it works. Every every win above replacement doesn't count towards an actual win in the win column of the standings. But right now, there have been eight projections made across the National League, and really only the Pittsburgh Pirates have a lower projection than the Colorado Rockies. The Diamondbacks are ahead of the Rockies by just a little bit. Zips does seem to like the starting rotation. It's fifth best of the eight teams that have been projected so far. Herman Marquez, Antonio Cinzatella, all three war players, Freeland, Gomber, CJ Crone, Brendan Rodgers, all two or more wins above replacement, according to Zip. So again, we'll talk to Dan Zimborski a little bit this week to get an idea exactly how this projection system works across all 30 teams. Because again, every win above replacement is not created equally. And with the current roster that the Rockies have, it's simply lacking. And I think the Rockies would probably say that to a degree as well. They certainly wouldn't use that language and say that their roster is lacking, but we know they want to take steps forward. Because right now, you've got Garrett Hampson and Alan Trejo splitting time at shortstop, essentially. That's only worth half a win. In left field, you just have, in the outfield, you don't even have three wins above replacement between left, center, and right. Charlie Blackman looks to possibly take a dip according to this projection system. And again, the outfield is another one of those spots that a major difference could be made to help boost these numbers just a little bit. It's still in the early going here in the offseason, and by no means are these projection systems by any of the pundits out there the be-all, end-all. But they're certainly interesting to go in, dig into the numbers, because I think there's a tendency to really look at those stats on the back of a baseball card. We talked about this last week. We talked about, hey, batting average, home runs, RBI, you typically look at that to see if a player had a good or bad season when that's really incomplete, especially if a player like Connor Joe didn't even get to play for half a season. So how can you project his statistics as being good or otherwise? Or maybe he was on the brink of getting exposed because he was now playing too much and wasn't having his opportunities cherry-picked by Bud Black. I don't think that's the case. But nevertheless, you can't really figure those things out by just looking at batting average, home runs, and RBI. I love trying to look on the positive side of things and look at the upside of things. Nothing wrong with that. And I love talking about companies that are doing their part to try to save their world. And I'm talking about the folks at Ball Aerospace and Technology, because right now they're actually hiring for production technicians. And you can read all about it and read the full description and apply at jobs.ball.com by searching for Golden. This is a position on the front line of the aluminum beverage can production process at Ball's plant in Golden. They pay you $27 an hour. You get potential increases at 6, 12, and 18 months, an annual bonus potentially. You're guaranteed comprehensive insurance active the day of hire. In addition to a 401k for retirement, stock purchase ownership program, so many benefits for working for a company like Ball. So text Golden to 77222 and you'll get linked to their open positions. You can also go directly to jobs.ball.com and search for Golden. That's jobs.ball.com and search for Golden or simply text Golden to 77222.
Then turn around and take that hard-earned paycheck to buy yourself a home with the expertise and support of Chevalier Mortgage. Chevalier Mortgage's ultimate goal is to take the stress out of buying and refinancing. They strive to give their borrowers options with their full financial picture in mind with the highest level of integrity, always making sure to put their borrowers first. And they've got a fun perk right now for DNVR listeners. If you visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, you can enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, you'll get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. And if you're a homeowner, keep in mind that with prices going up, it's creating natural equity in your home. So this is for you as well. Chances are you can refinance out of that mortgage insurance and make the bubble work for you. So call Virginia directly at 303-257-6578 or visit dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006, Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. The NFL season is winding down. The playoffs are going to be here before you know it. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, the offers are getting even more amazing. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win two, $200 in free bets. Don't miss out on this action. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get NFL action with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple gets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit, withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR and new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Well, for a final segment, I did want to feature one of the inaugural Colorado Rockies, Mr. Big Cat. Andres Galarraga. Go back and listen to the December 13th episode of DNVR Rockies as I did this for Charlie Hayes, the first one in this off-season series, hoping to bring you a little more information about some of the folks that helped establish the Colorado Rockies over the years. Of course, we'll get into guys like Aaron Cook, Jeff Francis, as well as those Hall of Famers that made their way through Denver. Andre Dawson, Barry Larkin, and of course, the two Colorado natives who are in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Roy Halladay and Rich Goose Gossage. Andres Jose Padovini Galarraga was best known as the Big Cat or El Gran Gato during his 19 years in the majors, a career in which he became the Colorado Rockies' first superstar. He looked like a slugger, but what made him so popular and helped secure his nickname was his quickness around the first base bag. Along the way, he helped establish the Rockies' tradition of great infield defense. Galarraga was the first of the Blake Street Bombers and one of the key reasons the Rockies established a major league record for attendance during their first year and, by year three, were in the postseason. During his big league career, he had 399 home runs, was a five-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, and two-time Comeback Player of the Year. Most importantly, Galarraga is a two-time cancer survivor. When his career ended in 2005, after a brief stint with the New York Mets in spring training, he had hit more home runs than any native Venezuelan, a record, of course, that has since been broken by Miguel Cabrera, and Galarraga was considered a national hero in his native land. Born on June 18, 1961, 
in the capital city of Caracas. Galarraga was raised by his father, Francisco Padovini, who was an Italian immigrant who painted houses for a living, while his mother, Juana, helped raise his three brothers and one sister, Orlando, Alfonso, Francisco, and sister Haiti. Andres played Sandlot baseball growing up until the age of 16 when he began playing professionally in the Venezuelan Winter League. If you can believe it, he actually began his career as a third baseman and a catcher, something that I was not aware of until I checked out his Sabre bio, which again, if you're not a member already, go ahead and sign up, sabre.org, and you can become a member of our Rocky Mountain chapter, which I am a board member of. We've got some amazing folks in-house. You probably know a couple of them, Manny Randawa and Thomas Harding from MLB.com, so many historians, as well as our guest you may have seen on YouTube on the DNVR Sports Channel, Matthew Replinger, amazing baseball guy, a visionary gentleman who still has several big things on the way. Make sure you check out that episode on YouTube before the podcast drops, especially because you want to see what his big beard looks like. A guy who's who's a yogi. What does a yogi look like who lives in Denver full-time? Interesting guy. Again, so many great things to check out as a member of Sabre. It was there in the Venezuelan Winter League, though, in 1979 that Felipe Alou first saw him play, and after getting over his quote-unquote chubbiness, actually recommended the Expos sign Galarraga. And according to Alou, he was friends with the Caracas manager, who he brought a rooster to to give him as a present. And in return, Oscar told him about this player named Andres Galarraga. Alou watched him play and proceeded to call Montreal and recommended signing the young slugger. While there is some discrepancy over how much money Galarraga actually signed for, either the $5,000 according to Felipe Alou's memory or the $1,500 according to most other reports, the Expos had him under contract as an amateur free agent. He was given the moniker Big Cat by his manager and former big leaguer Bob Bailey while playing rookie league ball at Calgary in 1979 due to his cat-like quickness and agility around the first base bag. He stood six foot three and was listed at 235 pounds. Galarraga's first impression of the U.S. was not all that favorable, and he experienced many of the same frustrations other Latino ballplayers do when arriving in the country for the first time. According to Bob Kravitz, Andres didn't speak a lick of English when he arrived in West Palm Beach. In an interview with Kravitz years later, Galarraga remembered he was so homesick when he first arrived that he wanted to call his parents every day, but only had the money to do so on a weekly basis. Galarraga's road to understanding English mimicked many, mimicked many other Latin players' efforts in adapting to a new country and a strange language. He watched TV and read the dictionary and newspapers to understand the language. His TV was on 24 hours a day in order to learn English. He recalled the frustration with simple day-to-day -day tasks, such as ordering food from a menu in an American restaurant, where he and his fellow Latinos had to simply point at an item to order it. Future big leaguer Randy St. Clair was a teammate of Galarraga's at Jamestown and also helped him with his English. Perhaps because of these cultural adjustments, Galarraga's career did not get off to a rousing start. In fact, he was so bad in his first professional appearance in West Palm Beach that he was demoted to rookie league Calgary during his first professional season. He stayed in Calgary until he was promoted to the Expo's low single-A club in Jamestown, New York for the 1981 season. He was back in West Palm Beach in high single-A ball for the 1982-83 seasons before being promoted to double-A Jacksonville in 1989. There, he became the Southern League's most valuable player by hitting 289 with 27 home runs and 87 RBI. He had now established himself as a full-time first baseman. 
He was promoted to Montreal's top farm club at AAA Indianapolis in 1985 and was named the International League's Rookie of the Year. He hit 269 with 25 homers and had 85 RBI before being promoted to Montreal in August, where he made his big league debut on August 23, 1985. He got into 24 games that first year and hit 187 with two homers and four RBI. His official rookie year, 1986, got off to a promising start until he injured a knee that required arthroscopic surgery. Later in the season, he also pulled a ribcage muscle, and despite these injuries, he still played 105 games and slugged 10 homers. Big Cat's career finally took off in 1987 when he played his first full year of ball in the majors. He batted 305, knocked in 90 runs, and finished second in the NL with 40 doubles. The next year, he fully blossomed with his first all-star berth while being named the Expos Player of the Year. He had 302 with 29 homers, 92 RBI, 99 runs scored, while leading the league in hits and doubles. That was to be Galarraga's high point for the Expos, as he suffered through injuries and a lack of production while leaving the league in strikeouts for three consecutive years from 89 to 90. After knee surgery again during the 91 season and the worst batting average of his career, 219, he was traded in November to the St. Louis Cardinals for pitcher Ken Hill. The 92 season started miserably as Galarraga broke his wrist in the second game of the year. When he returned from his injury, he hit only 243 with 10 homers and 39 RBI. He did. However, meet the man who was to transform his game and his batting approach, St. Louis hitting coach Don Baylor. Baylor liked Galarraga, and when he became the Colorado Rockies' first manager for their inaugural 1993 season, he persuaded team ownership to sign the player as a free agent following his release by the Cardinals. Now, toward the end of Galarraga's tenure in St. Louis, Baylor got him to alter his batting stance transforming Galarraga's career. He ended up hitting 301 over those last 45 games. His stance was soon to be recognizable by baseball fans everywhere for its unconventionality. Baylor persuaded Galarraga to stand so that both eyes were facing the pitcher and then stride into the pitch from that stance. Galarraga signed as the Rockies' first free agent on November 16, 1992, one day prior to the expansion draft that produced the team's first ever roster. With him coming off two subpar seasons in succession, the Rockies were able to sign Galarraga for a mere $600,000, including some incentive bonuses, probably the team's best ever free agent signing. Galarraga was 31 years old, and his career was about to take off as he became an immediate fan favorite in the Rockies' inaugural season. He was the cleanup hitter in the first ever game against the Mets on April 5, 1993 at Shea Stadium. And it was the first of five consecutive opening day starts for the Big Cat as a member of the Rockies. With his new open stance paying huge dividends, Galarraga flirted with batting 400 for much of the season. He was hitting 391 at the All-Star break and became the Rockies' first participant in the Midsummer Classic. He ended the season with a major league leading 370 batting average. He knocked in 98 runs, hit 22 homers, and finished with a 1,005 OPS, 1.005 on-base plus slugging percentage. It's the best of his career, all of this despite missing 42 games with two stints on the injured list. During his second IL stint, the Rockies lost a team record 13 consecutive games, a record that still stands. In fact, Colorado has only lost 10 or more games in a row four times. They had 11 consecutive losses in 2000 and 2015 and a 10 consecutive loss run in 2005. 
Galarraga's 370 batting average in 93 was the highest by a right-handed hitter since Yankees Joe DiMaggio hit 381 just 54 years earlier in 1939. Galarraga was named the Comeback Player of the Year by the Sporting News and finished 10th in NL MVP voting. He underwent yet another knee surgery during the offseason, but also capitalized on his 1993 season by signing a $12 million four-year contract in December of 93. With incentives and bonuses, Galarraga eventually made $17.2 million over the course of the next four years. During the Rockies' second year of existence, which was cut short at midseason by the player strike, Galarraga had an April to remember. He drove in 30 runs during the month, an NL record that Barry Bonds, pre-PEDs, this was before he started using, <laughs> was to break two years later. But he broke his hand on July 28th, and when the strike began on August 12th, his season was effectively over. He did lead the Rockies in home runs with 31, hit 319, and knocked in 85 runs while playing in only 103 games. The 95 season was to be one of the most memorable in franchise history with the opening of Coors Field and a renovated area of downtown Denver known, of course, as Lodo, which stands for Lower Downtown. Galarraga played a key role in the Rockies' playoff push, culminating in their first appearance in postseason play. He was also healthy for a full season for the first time in four years and produced again with a 280 average, 31 homers, and 106 RBI. Galarraga also led the league in strikeouts with 146 for the fourth and final time in his career. The Big Cat was an integral part of the Blake Street Bombers, a reference to the location of Coors Field at the corner of 20th and Blake. The Bombers consisted of Galarraga, Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Vinny Castilla, Dante Bichette, and Ellis Burks. In 95, Galarraga, Bichette, Walker, and Castilla made Major League history and tied the 1977 Dodgers with four players on a team hitting 30 or more homers in the same season. Galarraga also made more history that year by hitting home runs in three consecutive innings against San Diego in June 23rd to tie an NL record. Two weeks later, he went six for six with two homers and five RBI against Houston on July 3rd. His six hits in a game have since been matched by Charlie Blackman back in 2014. The Rockies lost to eventual World Series champion Atlanta in the 95 Division Series. The next year in 1996, Galarraga led the National League in home runs with 47 and runs batted in with 150. He stroked 39 doubles and had a slugging percentage of 601 while missing only two games, the most games he's played in during a single season. The 1997 season was also Galarraga's last in Colorado, but he went out with a flourish, leading the NL again with 140 RBI and scoring 120 runs, the most of his career, and being named to his third All-Star team. Galarraga hit the most famous of his many home runs, a grand slam on May 31st, 1997, off the Marlins' Kevin Brown at what was then known as Pro Player Stadium in Miami. You probably even tried to capture it off of ESPN's Top 10 or the general highlights on the news on your VHS recorder. There's no doubt where he hit the ball. Landed 20 rows up in the upper deck on a blue tarp in a closed-off section of the stadium. If you remember, initial estimates put the distance at 573 feet. It was later recalculated to 529 feet. And then 14 years later, using ESPN's home run tracker, they said it was 468 feet. However, there actually was a study done by a gentleman named Jose Lopez. Him and a, and a group 
came together to try to answer the question once and for all. Lopez and his fellow authors used the latest LIDAR technology along with a 3D mathematical model to determine that Galarraga's mammoth shot probably traveled 524 feet, making it one of the few hit prior to StatCast proven, proven to have exceeded the 500-foot distance in the history of MLB. With young prospect Todd Helton on the horizon, Rocky said goodbye to the Big Cat after the 97 season. He signed with Atlanta in November and earned more than $25 million during the next three years with Atlanta. His initial season with them saw him play in 153 games, hit 305, knocking 121 runs, hit 44 homers. He made the all-star team for the fourth time. He became the first major leaguer to hit 40 home runs in two consecutive seasons for different teams. The 99 season was also a nightmare for the Big Cat. He missed the entire season after being diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma during spring training. It had settled into his lower back on the second lumbar vertebrae. He went through five months of chemotherapy and radiation, yet was determined to play baseball again and went through a rigorous rehabilitation routine while at the powerhouse gym in West Palm Beach, where he lived during the offseason. It was successful, and he was back to playing baseball in the spring of 2000. In Atlanta's first game, he hit the game-winning homer in the seventh inning and also provided game-saving defensive gem in Greg Maddox's 2-0 win. He played 141 games in this comeback season and received the second Comeback Player of the Year award during his career by hitting 302 with 28 home runs and 100 RBI. After the 2000 season, Galarraga asked the Braves for a two-year contract. They were only comfortable with one, and so Galarraga switched leagues for the first time in his career signing with the Texas Rangers. With star Rafael Palmero, a fixture at first base, Galarraga mostly DH'd and was used as a pinch hitter. After 72 games with a 235 batting average, he had 10 homers, 34 RBI. The Rangers traded Galarraga back to the NL to the San Francisco Giants on July 24th, where he finished the season with the Giants playing in 49 games, hitting 288 with seven more homers and 35 more RBI. A free agent again after the season, Galarraga signed with his original team, the Montreal Expos, in the spring of 2002. At 41 years old, he played in 104 games and saw a decline in his batting numbers to be expected, though he did hit nine homers, knocked in 40 runs, batted 260. The decline had begun, and although he managed to hang on and play 110 games with San Francisco in 2003, Galarraga was never again the same player he was before going to the AL. He still hit a respectable 301 with the Giants in 2003, but his power numbers were fading. He hit 12 with 42 RBI in his last full season in the majors. After that year, Galarraga once again faced cancer. After being diagnosed with the same form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in November, he spent most of January 2004 at Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center at Northwestern University. He went through a stem cell transplant and chemotherapy and radiation again. Not wanting to give up his baseball career yet, Galarraga battled back from his second bout with cancer and signed a contract with the Anaheim Angels Minor League Club in Salt Lake City. He was called up when the rosters expanded on September 1st, getting 10 more at-bats. His final Major League home run was the 399th of his career, and his last Major League game came on October 3rd, 2004, 19 years after his first Major League game. The next season, Galarraga, at 43 years old, was invited to the Mets spring training, but realizing it was the end of a long and productive career, he officially retired on March 29, 2005. 
Galarraga's final career numbers are impressive. He finished with a 288 career batting average, 399 home runs, and 1,425 RBI. He also had 444 doubles, 324 triples, and 128 stolen bases. Not bad for someone originally considered a bit too chubby to play pro ball. Galarraga and his wife, Anita, who he married on Valentine's Day in 1984, took up residence in West Palm Beach after his retirement. They have three children, Catherine, Andrea, and Andriana. Galarraga made the 2010 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot the same year as fellow teammate Ellis Burks and fellow Colorado Rockies player Dale Murphy. While Murphy stayed on the ballot for the full 15 years, he was actually grandfathered in when the ballot changed to a maximum of 10 years, which it is now. Galarraga could only muster one year on the ballot as he garnered 22 votes, falling five shy of the requisite 5% to stay on the ballot. Well, I hope you really like these biographies of these great Colorado Rockies during the offseason. I hope to bring them every couple of weeks, especially because I really hope it does light a fire under some of you that listen. Some of you don't need that fire lit. But my goal is for the Rockies to eventually have their own Hall of Fame, whether it's at McGregor Square or it's somewhere inside the confines of Coors Field. It's something that is long overdue. Not only do the Rockies of yesteryear deserve this, the inaugural 93 squad, the players that were on the 95 team that made the first Rocktober, the 07, 09 guys, not only do they deserve it, and this is the ones that you know and the ones you don't know, not only do those guys deserve it, but you, the fans out there, deserve a place to have your memories preserved. So thanks again for listening to the DNVR Rocky podcast. Make sure you're signed up to the DNVR.com. 50 cents for your first month. Give it a shot. It might be the off season, but we still have great coverage that we're bringing you here for the Rockies. And guess what? They're in season in the avalanche nuggets, Broncos, the Rams and buffs have really top notch basketball teams right now. In fact, The Rams are ranked 20th nationally. It's the first time that they've been in the top 25 poll three consecutive weeks. Guess what? You get all of that coverage as well for that 50 cent trial period for the first month. And if you've already been convinced, you know that your annual membership does get your free t-shirt over at dnvrlocker.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dnvr underscore Rockies. I'm at Patrick D. Lyons on Twitter. We still got a few more good shows for you this week. Again, all five days because I can't skimp out. Even if it is the holidays, you're still going to get another ad-free episode coming up as we get closer towards the end of 2021. So for DNVR Sports, I'm Patrick Lyons. Thanks for tuning in to the DNVR Rockies podcast.